It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts. Come on, quit stalling! All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is... Uh, the last installment of our Bruce Springsteen series, we've released three so far, and uh, the download numbers are great on this. I, I really appreciate everybody listening to it. Chris is uh, is out this week. He isn't going to be able to make it, but but standing in his place is one of my favorite people I've met through podcasting and was the first person that was ever a guest on this podcast all the way from Cincinnati, Ohio, Mr. Sonny Pooney. How's it going, man? I can't replace Chris. Chris is irreplaceable. Plus, you know, all that shitty music he listens to. <laughs> I, I can't put up with any of that. So yeah, I'm a, I'm an adequate replacement for who I am. Let's work out. <laughs> uh, you're great. You're great. Um, all right. So Sonny is on the growing up rock podcast with Steven Michael. It's one that's uh required listening for me. I used to listen to it every Sunday morning when I'm out on a bike ride. And uh, they do uh, a series every year that I'm kind of envious I didn't come up with where at the last episode of each month, they um, critique an album. Now, the first two years, it was an artist catalog. It was Def Leppard and it was Van Halen. And then now they're doing uh, albums that are celebrating their 40th anniversary. And they had some knucklehead on there for uh, Kill Em All uh, to do it. But uh, I really enjoy the series. Honestly, even if it's albums I don't like or have never heard of, uh, I enjoy it. I have found through podcasting that, a, I've learned a lot about music from listening to album review episodes, even if it's songs I'm not familiar with. It's fascinating for me how three people can hear the same song and come back with three different takes that aren't even remotely related. And so uh, you got you enjoy doing those, don't you? Even the bad ones? Yeah, I enjoy doing them because it's not just me and Steven, right? So we always mm-hmm. get a third. Or at least we have, I would say, you know, nine and a half out of 10 times. There's a, I think it has to do with whatever you're listening for, right? There's certain things I'm listening for when I listen to music. It ends up, what I'm listening for ends up in a, all kinds of different music. So it's not just hard rock of the 80s, which is mm-hmm. my go to. Everybody has a go to, but that's my go to. But, uh, 
I think that's why people hear it different. And then it depends on when you got in and how much of an Uber fan you are. And I think that's where, you know, most people are not going to review albums that they're not Uber fans of the band or the Mm -hmm. album or the situation or the stories or blah, blah, blah. We've gotten to now when we're doing these, we're doing these new Friday quick fix things that are like 10 to 12 minute episodes every Friday. We're starting to talk about albums now that they're just in our library or we own them and we haven't heard them in a while, but we really liked them when we first heard them. So we're finally kind of getting to albums that we maybe don't know all that much about. But uh, I think that's why people do album reviews, but we're enjoying it. What's an example of one of those? Uh, Hurricane Slave to the Thrill. Do you know who Hurricane is? I remember seeing the name like in like Metal Edge. Is that the one that was Neil Sean in that? Uh, Kelly mm-hmm. Hansen. Okay. Okay. I'm getting the journey connection there. He's yeah. one of those, they're one of those bands that, um, I always saw like mentioned in like metal edge and, um, yeah. and stuff like that. It would always, it wouldn't be like a big article, but you'd see a picture of them or, or something like that. Uh, same thing with like Taiketo. Like I just yeah. remember seeing, seeing them, I guess I was like mainstream on all that, you know, warrant and poison and skid row and, um, Cinderella and Tesla um, but like Chris and Kate, and you've met Kate and man, Kate can go down a rabbit hole that make your head spin, uh, with some of the stuff, especially when it comes to Striper. Um, have you seen all the stuff that he collects online? Oh yeah. yeah. He, he texts me every once in a while and go, look what I got this time. Like he does I that every once I, I love seeing, I love seeing him doing all that. I love it when people are passionate about music and, and get to do it. All right. So, uh, I had Sonny on state of America with Ian and we gave him 10 black crows songs. And it was the most hate mail we've ever gotten. Uh, I had one guy message me and said, I'm going to start a podcast solely to refute everything that Sonny Pooney said. People are like, where did you find this guy? What kind of taste does he have? And so um, that made me go, all right, I got to do more of these because uh, it it creates a lot of engagement. All right, Sonny, I'm going to set the record here for you. Bruce Springsteen, I only knew the hits. That's it. Knew none of the deep catalog stuff. Chris and Caton had been on me for years to get into him and I would listen to his music and especially the 70s stuff. I couldn't get over that glocking spiel and the piano, you know, the high pitch piano. And, um, the, there's four of us that were all fraternity brothers. We haven't done anything together since COVID. And so they were like, let's go see the boss in KC because it's a cheaper ticket to get in Kansas city versus like, you know, LA or New York. And, uh, I agreed to go. And they were like, you know, once you see him, you're going to change your mind. And it was about eight songs in. The song was Backstreets off Born to Run. And man, a light bulb came on. And all of a sudden, all that stuff that I used to not like, I like now. And I've pretty much been listening to him constantly since February. I've read three books. I have almost all his vinyl. Um, I listen to all the bootlegs. And so I don't get upset when when people... Um, critique him and don't like him because i was there until six months ago we just did uh um, on state of america we broke down born to run and two of the people on there did not like it at all and basically everything they said i would have agreed with six months ago until i saw him and i've had so many people tell me you can't judge him until you see him so he's 73 years old he played for three hours straight literally he ring would take his shirt and ring it out and sweat would come out He's worth $650 million. He's not doing this because he needs the money. Um, 
And, you know, people complained about the prices. And he said, you know, if somebody walks out and is not satisfied, satisfied, we'll give them their money back. So I just want to preface that with uh, a lot of the things I think you may say, I would have agreed with you six months ago. Is that fair? Uh, that's fair. And I will tell you that there is many artists I listen to where the music plus the live experience is what hooked me as a forever fan. I can tell you. He could have naked women on stage if I went to go see him live and I would not be interested overall. It's not about the live experience with him, right? I didn't need that to connect because I don't need it. I've never seen Brian Adams live and I love Brian Adams. Mm -hmm. Never seen John Cougar live and there's stuff I like with John Cougar. Yeah. Right. I never saw Corey Hart. Remember sunglasses? Yeah. And I like Corey Hart stuff. Right. So there's got to be something that fully connects with me before I even spend a cent or any time. I did the same thing with Grateful Dead because I grew up in the Bay Area and somebody mm -hmm. goes, no, 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 you won't understand until you go see him live. I saw him live too. That was one of the worst shows I've <laughs> ever seen in my life. They are the jam band of all jam bands. And I'm like, good Lord, what the hell am I doing here? The stuff with the dead, I either love it or I hate it. Uh, they have a live <laughs> album called Europe 72 that I absolutely love. There's probably 25 songs of theirs. I really like the rest of it. Um, I, you know, the noodling gets old for me at some time. And I, we have a lot of those people that listen to our podcast. So I just lost some listeners, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. that's the thing about our podcast. We, we cover so many different types of music. We, you know, we have people that'll, oh, I can't believe you said that. And the next week, you know, they love what we do. All right. So what I did with Sonny on state of America is we gave him 10 black crow songs. All right. Chris and I each chose five songs to give Sonny to listen to. And we both picked songs that we thought based on Sonny's musical profile that he may, may just like now, Sonny likes guitar driven rock. He likes big courses. He likes melody and he likes pre-courses. So um, with that said, the first song is a song called radio nowhere, which is the lead single off 2007's magic. Now, Magic was recorded live in studio with the full band. Brendan O'Brien did it. He uh, produced it. He is known for working on the first two Crows records, and then he's been Pearl Jam's exclusive producer for a long time. But uh, Radio Nowhere is a rock song. It's one of the heavier songs in his catalog. It's Like I said, it's the lead single off Magic, and it's the first song. Magic, like I said, was recorded live in studio. It is his most rock record that he has. All the songs are guitar-oriented. And uh, he said when they were in the studio, little Steven said, we just need a rock record. And so uh, this is kind of it. So Radio Nowhere, Sonny, what do you think? All right. So before I tell you my thoughts on Radio Nowhere, let's just, I might as well just get everybody mad at me right out of the gate. So I fully realize Bruce Springsteen is one of the most popular and successful artists of our time. I get it. So is Bob Dylan. So is the Eagles. So is the dead. I don't like any of those guys either. Okay. So I get it. I'm an MTV kid. Saw Bruce a lot on MTV. This Americana style, Heartland rock folk, whatever you want to kind of call it until it gets to like blue collar mainstream type stuff, like a Brian Adams or a John Cougar. You usually don't get me because you don't usually have a chorus that is memorable. Now, that being said, I want to applaud you and Chris for giving me 10 songs that lasted a total of 41 minutes because you could have put me through some hell, I'm sure. So, I, And 
you gave me 10 songs that were not in my mind, huge MTV hits that I had seen before. Right. Yeah. There was only one of these songs that I was actually familiar with Bridge, that I possibly Scott. ever even heard. Yeah. Was that it, was it. Yeah. Okay. That was it. Every other song I had not heard before. So radio nowhere, never heard the song before. There was something familiar about it. We'll get to that in a second. So from what I could tell, because, you know, I'm reading the lyrics. I'm like, okay, power radio's dead. I, I get it. Lyrical content's cool. The problem with Bruce for me is his vocal tone. And it's just not pleasing to my ear. And right out of the gate, I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I got to listen to 10 of these. But the music at least kept going. So it is more rock because I did like the guitar melody. I like the nice, you know, good short guitar solo. It's just the entire issue for me is this vocal on this thing. I cannot believe this song won a Grammy. We must have been really desperate in 2008. Where were all the rock songs in 2008? I need to do some research on who the hell came on 2008 because wow. Okay. So then I, I do a little research. I'm like, I don't know what it is that's making this thing. I didn't want to, you know, do deep research. I just wanted to do some light stuff. And I'm like, there's something about the song that I can't quite play. I heard the eight, six, seven, five, three Oh nine. I heard it. It was really? there. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to go back and listen yeah. to that. Yeah. It's there. <laughs> well, that album, uh, it thematically is kind of about the state of the country after the Iraq war and during the uh, economic crash that, that was happening. And on the, on the substance, I mean, on the, on face, the song is about kind of how we've lost connection with radio and it's all corporate or whatever, a little bit deeper in it. And I've read it in like several books. He, he was talking about like, do we even listen to each other anymore? Is everything we say, you know, just, bouncing around and people aren't listening but um that that album is uh guitar album i will tell you you know who max weinberg is though right yeah, yeah all right so there were some shows around this time where max i think had some heart issues well his son jay filled in on drums who's also the drummer for slipknot and um he rocked this song out and at the end bruce lets him have this huge drum solo uh, and it, it's, it was interesting to see somebody play the drums like that with him. But, uh, I think he started sitting in with them every now and then when he was like 19 years old. So he's obviously a prodigy because, uh, the boss ain't going to let any slackers on stage. All right. The next song is off working on a dream. Now this is, in my opinion, his worst post reunion album. I think a lot of people will say that. But this is a love song he wrote. And I was just reading in a book where his wife said, you never write any good love songs. And this is one he wrote uh, about his wife. Um, this one is up-tempo. It's guitar-driven. And I picked it because it's got a melody that I thought you may like. So the song is My Lucky Day. So I had not heard this song before. Uh, always love songs about love, partnership, all that's cool. The verse melody was tolerable for me. But, oh, my God, you add the wine onto the normal boss vocal tone. And that, you're lucky. All right, so was, that, oh that, that is a harmony from uh, Stephen Van That Zandt. was rough. That was rough. That was really rough. I, I had a hard time forgetting that melody. I can't believe that I'm going to die knowing that I heard this melody. I, oh my God, the whining was bad. 
Well, this is going worse than I expected. <laughs> now, this I remember this song. I don't remember the melody and the mu uh, and the uh, words and all that. This was on Guitar Hero. Because okay. when when my kids my I grew up in the MTV generation, my kids grew up in the Guitar Hero generation, and I wanted them to try music. So anytime Guitar Hero came up with something, I had them all. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I remember hearing this, but I. I obviously had never heard the full song because, wow, yeah, that this was rough. And you slow this down is basically Bob Dylan. That's part of the problem with it because I don't like Bob Dylan either. All right, so he has like five different voices he sings out of. And post-reunion, he's had a couple of albums where he's gone a little bit, bit with the nasally Bob Dylan thing. All right, the next song is off his last studio album called The Letter to You. And between me and Chris, it's a toss-up between this and Magic, which is his best. It's all guitar-driven rock on this album, except for two songs. It was recorded live in studio with the full band. I think they did it in like two weeks. It's the second song of every show he's doing on this tour, and that song is Ghosts. All right, so I also had never heard this before. Um, you know, this the, the lyrical content about you being close to folks, whether they're in your band or your family, and then you lose them over time. That always kind of resonates with me. So that was cool. Like the jangly guitar, the drum beat starts. I'm like, all right, here we go. Bruce starts his vocal. I'm like, okay, that's, why is it not so bad for some reason? Then there was harmonizing in parts kept me interested. I like the call and answer response of the verses. It was getting a little stale. And then like about three minutes in, Everything stops with the vocals and then it has that little breakdown feel. I actually like this song. That whole I'm alive, right? That yeah. was I'm which I'm assuming is the chorus. Mm-hmm. Super catchy. Um so far the best song on this list. Now I did have a beef with it though. Okay. I had to do the clapping at the end and do yeah. the full minute of la la yeah. la's. Can you just fade it out? Like, come on, dude. Yeah, that, that I was I was listening to that this morning when I was on my bike ride because I was wanting to take some mental notes about each song. And I was like, yeah, that that's a little bit too long. Now you can imagine that song going over well in an arena. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause and, I read somewhere he was trying to write a song that was like on th- anthemic that people mm-hmm. could sing back. Oh, I could definitely see this going. Yeah. So that, uh, that's the, sec- he's opening most song, most shows with no surrender and then, and then going into this. All right. The next song I think is, possibly the heaviest in his catalog and lyrically it's probably the most personal song he's ever written it's a song called adam raised a cane it's off the darkness on the edge of town uh um, album now he had this very very complicated relationship with his father and if you read his autobiography um he you know realized later in his life his father had severe untreated mental illness and they just never got along. And he's always wanted his father's approval. And there's a story he tells where he t- brought his parents to one of his concerts. And it's like 30,000 people there. And they were all chanting Bruce. And he went out into the crowd and grabbed his dad. And he said, Dad, do you hear what they're how they're treating me? That's how I think of you. And so toward the end of his dad's life, they uh, reconciled, not reconciled, but they kind of they were on good terms when he died. And so this song is kind of, is about being raised by his dad and how kind of like he has to take on the sins of his father. Um, 
I had never heard it till I saw the drive-by truckers two years ago. They played it. Everybody in the crowd knew it but me. And I'm turning around to one guy, I go, what is this? And he's like, it's all <laughs> darkness. All right, so Adam raised a cane. What are your thoughts on it? All right, let me ask a question real quick. Is Bruce doing all of the singing, like even that out of control? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know if that was somebody yeah. else doing it. Okay, so hadn't heard it before. I'm assuming, you know, Adam's the father, Kane is the son in the lyrics. Mm -hmm. I get it. Lyrics are aggressive, pouring his heart out, intense song. You know, like I said, that vocal delivery even gets a little bit out of control, kind of showing the pain, yeah. et cetera. It's his angriest song for sure. Yeah. This could be the worst song I've heard this year. This every heat song is a hundred times better than this. Oh this, my gosh, Chris I is going to run off the road when I tell him this. that. I oh can't my god, you guys put this on the list. I, I, I just, I get it. it. Just because it's a personal song, it doesn't get a pass, right? And I'm just like, God, why does anybody listen to this stuff? I couldn't get it. I can't imagine a crowd singing this. Oh my gosh. Oh man, wait till I text Chris the heat comment. He, he's in like Hot Springs, Arkansas. He's going to turn around and put Cincinnati, Ohio in the in the in the Google Maps and be on his way up there. All yeah, right, this one so it was a rough one because if this right. is supposed to be like his version of the blues, he missed by a country mile. <laughs> All right, the next song he he opened the show that I saw with. Uh, it was kind of one of the 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 big arena rock songs off of born in the USA. And whether you like them or not, you can't argue that thing. sold 28 million records, uh, no surrender. I picked this one because I thought, I really thought you may like it, but I'm, I'm losing my faith in myself as we go along. <laughs> okay. So again, had not heard before, cause I don't own any Bruce Springsteen albums, mm -hmm. including the one that sold 28 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the subject matter of, you know, growing up, attacking the world. It's possible, you know, all the history I know is from Iron Maiden songs. Like, I, so I get it. Songs can teach you a lot. John Kerry using this in the campaign. Like, I'm assuming he liked the pace of the song because there's really no, like, dynamic shifting in the song. It just kind of was one big block. And then when it got shifted, it went to La La La's and O-O-O's. So... It was just a little mad to me, right? It just didn't really grab me. And when I found out it was on USA, I'm like, oh, maybe this is why, like, I don't know this song because this would not have been mass appeal type stuff, you know, compared to the other stuff he had on mm -hmm. the record. So it was so, just mad to me. So when they recorded that album, they tried to record it kind of like Michael Jackson did Thriller and Def Leppard did Hysteria, where every song technically could be a single the album he did before this, he recorded on an eight track and it's just 10 acoustic songs and it's just him playing on it. He's never recorded the same thing twice. The, the, all of his albums are different. So The River in 1980 was his biggest album to date. So what did he do then? He did a 10 song song, a 10 song album on an eight track recorder with him and uh, a guitar. So one of the things has always been you can't really you can't really ever call him a sellout because he'll have a big album and then he'll release like an acoustic album later. So there were seven songs off this album that charted in the top 40. Um, that that's unreal. And let me ask you this, cause you're a student of the eighties. Uh, I was having this discussion with somebody that not, not in bands, but single artists. You have to say he's one of the five most identifiable of the eighties. 
Oh, 100%. Because MTV absolutely loved him. They loved him as much as they loved Brian Adams, as much as they loved John Cougar, Phil Collins, Madonna, George Michael, right? There was just certain, uh, Michael Jackson, Prince. There was certain artists that because the artist was willing to give videos and do a lot of videos and have them connect, that MTV absolutely loved them. And, you know, USA's coming out in 84. MTV hasn't really gotten super big yet. They're only three years old at that point. Right. So the artists that were there at the beginning that helped them out, I think they really latched on to those guys. Now, come to the late 80s, even the princes of the world started disappearing off of MTV, right? Because they just weren't as, I guess, as popular as they were in the beginning and the middle of the 80s. Right. As they were at the near the end. Yeah, I was was saying that for whatever, I guess it's all the stuff that went down with Michael Jackson. I just kind of always forget about him you know he was obviously the king of the 80s but after that i i kind of came to the conclusion in no certain order it was prince madonna and and bruce um that you know are synonymous you think about 84 you've got purple rain and born in the usa coming out um that was quite the quite the battle there they were both but and i know you're not a big fan of born in the usa but it's as far as like releasing singles, it was on par with Thriller and 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 Purple oh, yeah, Rain and, and yeah. Hysteria. All right, so the next song is the first song off the River, which was a double album that he put out in 1980. He recorded 60 songs for this album and uh, scrapped it and um, went back and, and redid a bunch of them. This is the lead single. It's called "The Ties That Bind." Uh, it's a song that's really grown on me. I feel like you're just about to poo-poo all over it. <laughs> so, again, never heard this before. When I was listening to your guys' podcast, Chris has said it's straight ahead rock. So I'm like, all right, I'm looking forward to hearing the song. So I'm hearing it. Pace is good. Verses were short. That was, They were okay. Skip ahead a little bit. Drum parts, very unique and cool. Great sax solo. Dude, where he lost me was the chorus this by yeah 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 i'm like he wrote 60 songs and he landed on this shit seriously like that chorus is unlistenable i can't listen to the song again because of it and i actually liked part of these songs you don't think that's bad there's no heat song that goes yeah 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 for all right yeah 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 sake They've got rock my bo- rock your body though. That's ten times better than this. <sighs> All right. You don't think that's weird in the chorus? I, I think he he's a child of he came up. I think he was born in 1950, and he's a massive fan of soul and R and B music from that time and the doo wop. And up until '84, some of that doo wop crept in. Uh, on him and i think some of that is a valid criticism uh, of some of his stuff i I was a guy on a text thread that was saying that's one of the things that drives him away now you would like this when you see him in concert a lot of times he does a thing called detroit melody uh no i'm sorry detroit medley and he does like 10 soul and r&b classics from the 60s you know like a, a, a course or two but that's his music that was his you know poisons and guns and roses and stuff so it creeps in every now and then, but uh, I, I understand why you don't like that. All right, the next one. 
please tell me you've heard Thunder Road. Off I of, had not. Okay. All right. So this is, there's four epic songs on that album, and this is one of them. Now, I know you're going you're gonna to crap on it, and I, I know it, I know it, I know it, I can feel it, but you've at least got to say that sax solo is, is something else. A best part of the song, 100%. Right. So again, ne never heard it. Uh, this whole one last chance to make it real type of lyrical content all over that. I really liked that, like subtle build from the first part of the first verse to like the second part mm -hmm. of that same verse, because it kind of felt very Roy Orbison mm -hmm. or like Bob Dylan sped up a little bit. So Roy, Roy Orbison is his hero. Oh, OK. I didn't know okay. that. Uh, sax solo is outstanding. The problem that I had with this song is it's just too wordy, too much story. And this happens with this Americana folk type stuff is, and this is one of the reasons I don't like stuff like Bob Dylan or when Cougar gets really deep into how bad the farms are or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like they aren't willing to give up some of the words to create the melody because they need to get all the political bullshit that they're trying to get out, out. So then it becomes this wall of lyrics versus a melody. And that's where the, I get it. He was pouring his heart out and it's the quintessential, you know, Bruce song and everybody loves it, but that's where it kind of loses me. Right. So where he, it's gotta have, it's just too much story. So his first two albums, I still haven't really come around on. Um, the, the first two to me, it's, there are a lot of Van Morrison in there, and I agree with you on a lot of those songs. He's trying to fit too many words in, and you know, I, I, I he apparently was like a shredder on on the guitar in the New Jersey scene, bar scene, and then he kind of went down this uh, singer songwriter path, really for the first two uh, albums. This song live just dang near half the audience is crying. Um, and the sax solo is, is is amazing. He lets the crowd sing the first verse. Um, I, I would say this is like amongst his fan base. This is one of the top five most beloved. That entire album is basically about getting out and, uh, you know, the small town and, you know, the getting out of the blue collar jobs. The next album is honestly about the people that couldn't get out. But um, I, I, uh, I would, like I said, a, a lot of what you're saying, I would agree with you six months ago. So I'm, I'm being honest on that. All right. The next song is the one you said you'd heard. It's off Tunnel of Love. It's called Brilliant Disguise. Now, this is the first album where he distanced himself from the E Street Band a lot. And uh, he went in and recorded a lot of the songs with him playing uh, the instruments. And then he would bring members of the E Street Band in. And as one of them called it, it was called Beat the Demo. Could they're playing top? the demo now this album suffers greatly from 80s production it there's there's no denying if you listen to like tunnel of love and and brilliant disguise and some of the other songs on there but amongst his fan base uh from a songwriting standpoint and from a lyrical standpoint a lot of people think this is possibly his best album it's the one i wish he would go back and re-record with without the 80s sheen to it um, he had gotten married and had kind of fallen for Patty Schiaffa, who would wind up being his wife of 30 something years. And this is kind of almost like a conversation with himself. Uh, you know, what am I doing? 
this was a pretty decent hit on MTV and uh, it's played a lot on the radio now. So you're familiar with it. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, when it came out, I was in my late teens, possibly even 20 by then. I think it came out 88, 89, right? Somewhere in there. Right. Okay. So yeah, that puts me 87. 87. Okay. So that puts me 18, 19. By that point, I had been through a couple of relationships. I, uh, so the lyrical content immediately connected the first time I ever heard this song. Mm -hmm. I will tell you when I read the lyrics, which I had never read really the lyrics before, but I knew most of them. I was trying to be a songwriter earlier in my life. I landed on lyricist. This is, this is stuff that I wish I could have written mm -hmm. because this whole fight within yourself Sometimes blaming your partner, but then coming back to yourself, but then fighting within yourself that it maybe isn't your fault and it is this person's fault. And this whole feeling about, okay, I'm connected to somebody, but I think I can upgrade to that person. I wouldn't have even thought about that when I didn't have anybody. But now that I have somebody, I can go do this. Dude, that is an unbelievable fight in your head. Dude, I love this song. It's okay. I for, I had not heard it in a long time. And I was glad it was on the list. I'm like, oh, yeah, this song. I totally forgot about this. It's great. And I that 80s production, to me, you got to remember, I grew up in it. Yeah. Right? So that that's music to my ears at times. And I get it. Sometimes I go back and listen and go, ooh, that was kind of tinny. Like, yeah. there's no blower in. Like, the hell yeah. was I hearing? But, uh, you know, it was the 80s. What are you going to do? It's one of those sneaky songs that I think people forget about, but then it comes on the radio and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that song. It's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, do you remember the song Tunnel of Love? I went back and listened to that because I'm going to tell you why in a few minutes here. I don't remember that song as much. I think it was the lead single actually. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember that song as much. Um. Yeah. I, this isn't, I, I, lyrically, I love this album. Um. I have to listen to it in, in spurts, honestly, because of, of how it sounds. But like I said, a, a lot of people have it in their top three of his because it is so real and it's so personal. The di One of the things that's interesting about this album, in almost every other song that he's done up until this point, he is pretty much singing as a character and seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. And this is him being very honest with himself. And I kind of really feel bad for his wife. <laughs> that you know and that was going through that. and in, in the book he publicly apologizes to her and said she never deserved any of this there was a photo that came out about this time of he and patty scalfa on a hotel uh balcony together it was a big scandal and you know obviously they've been married 30 something years so they've made it work but um it's a sneaky one on him because when you think of him you know you most people go to born in the USA and that's kind of what they, they remember. And everybody's heard born to run a million times, but all right. The next song is the lead track off darkness on the edge of town. Now darkness on the edge of town is a very dark album. Lyrically um, Adam raised a cane is on it. Um, there's a song called factory. That's completely depressing. Uh, the song darkness on the edge of town. Like I said, this album is about people that could not get out. And the lead single is Badlands. It's one of his uh, most popular and beloved songs. Um, it's one of those ones that I would say to people, if you see it live, it just absolutely blow you, blows you away. He and Stephen Van Zant singing together 
And uh, I was just excited to see Steven Van Zandt as I was Springsteen because the Sopranos is my favorite show of all time. And I was like, Silvio, you know, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I know what you're going to say about this. Um, uh, go ahead, Sonny, bash it. <laughs> all right. So never heard it before. And for a darker song, I thought it was a little more upbeat, faster paced, kind of felt anthemic, like, you know, this. So, you know, kind of reading the lyrics about a guy down on his luck is pissed off, wants better, wants out or whatever. I like the chorus. It was actually a, different, a little bit different than the verses, had some dynamics mel melody wise, which some of the songs that were on this list didn't have. Love the guitar solo, sax solo combination into that little breakdown, then build it back up to the chorus. I thought that was really cool. I thought this song, like, I really wanted to like Thunder Road because I know that's the quintessential song. Mm -hmm. I thought this song was better than Thunder Road. A lot of people will say that, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like the song. Let me ask you this, because this is one of the things that turned me off in the past. I love it now. And uh, when we did our Born to Run episode, a couple of the guys, does that piano and glocking spiel, does that turn you off? No, no. Okay. It, it's normally not instruments in any music. That turns me off. It's okay. usually either melody or the vocal. That will be the one. Like, have you ever heard Enough's Enough? Dude, it's brutal because the vocals are brutal, right? There's a faster pussycat. Dude, I can't listen to one faster pussycat song. All right. Chris is Chris is now, he's sped up 10 miles an hour <laughs> and he's probably cro crossing through Memphis right now. Don't talk about faster pussycat. I get pussycat. it that some people hear it as, the person's voice fits because it's supposed to be sleazy or supposed to be painful or it's supposed to be dirty or it's supposed to be great. It doesn't get it for me. I need to have, dude, if I could listen to Sam cook the rest of my life, I would listen to only Sam cook the rest of my life. Like I want that. And there's not a lot of that in the rock music that I listen to, mm -hmm. but when I hear it, man, I connect a hundred percent then. That's interesting as you say that about the in instrumentation, because that's one of the things that really turned me off to him um, yeah. was the, and I didn't know what it was, the glocking spiel, but that that's kind of the the thing. Roy Bitten is the, that's his most trusted person probably in the band. He's that plays that, but um, it, it's so interesting because so many of these songs, if you see them live in an arena, it's, it's insane. There's these huge courses and you know, that when we went, we drove by the arena at 10 a.m. There were probably 500 to 1,000 people that were older. I'm 46, way older than me, in line to get in the pit. Um, it, it's just insane how rabid his fans are. Like Chris Christie, the, you know, the guy that was the governor of New Jersey, seen him 150 yeah. times. I cried the first time he met him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And I've All been right. to shows like that where, like, I'll, you know, Metallica is a great example, mm -hmm. right? Like, people go, now – Probably not nowadays, but when I went in the early nineties, when it was, you were actually a Metallica fan, not, you were just an inner Sandman fan, right? Mm -hmm. You would go to the Oakland arena and there would be 20,000 people that the energy in that room is just, my God, if Hetfield says kill somebody right now, there's going to be a thousand people dead, <laughs> right? I'm not a huge Metallica fan. I like some Metallica and I remember standing around going, wow, these guys are really in a frenzy right now. Like what is happening and why am I not feeling the same way? Right. I must be missing something. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, 
I, I was on board with you six months ago and it just blew me away live. All right. The last song. All right. I'm going to tell you first. Radio Nowhere through No Surrender were my picks. The ties that bind. All right. One, two, three. Yeah. The ties that bind on were Chris's picks. And the last song he picked was a song off the river, double album from 1980 called Jackson Cage. It's about, most people think it's about living in Jackson, New Jersey, and uh, people that get kind of stuck in that small town life and uh, trapped in the Jackson Cage, if you will. So uh, this was Chris's last pick. Uh, I got a feeling you're not going to like it. (laughs) Um, All right. So again, never heard it before. I did read somewhere it was about being in a small town. I'm like, I don't see that in the lyrics. Then I read somewhere it's about being trapped by the circumstances of somebody's life. I'm like, I don't think I read that in the lyrics too. I got a woman is being held against her will. That's what I got out of the lyrics. But And maybe I missed something. Um, love the pace of the verses. Then that emotional build to the pre-chorus and to the chorus. Not too sure with stuff like cross swords on a killing floor. I don't really know what that means. But reality is, if it's got a good melody and the story is somewhat gray i'm okay with that because overall i did like this song really so yeah two out of ten you at least had is decent uh i would say four okay brilliant disguise jackson cage badlands and what else radio nowhere or ghosts um radio nowhere and ghosts right okay uh badlands was kind of at the bottom half for me overall all right, so if he comes near Cincinnati, I buy you buy your ticket. Will you go with me? I, I'd go, but uh, don't get your hopes up. What if you walked out a true believer? I don't get your hopes up, dude. I mean, what wh- you and Steven could start calling it the Growing oh, Up Springsteen Lord. podcast. Good lord! So I, can... I felt bad that you know there wasn't like I didn't love all the songs, so I'm like, okay. I can't go through the whole discography because there's no way I no, it's 19 albums. Through. Yeah. There's no way. So I'm like, let me at least go back to some of the songs that I knew and kind of hunt and peck through the albums of songs that I think I've heard every once in a while. And can I pick like a 10 song playlist that I could live with that I could listen to every once in a while. Okay. I'm going to tell you, I came up with eight songs. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, I want to tell you what those songs okay. were. I I rounded out the other two by two songs he was at least involved with. Okay. I got at least that far. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the 10 songs and I'm going to tell you that after listening to the playlist you sent me, Ghosts and Brilliant Disguise would probably replace the two non-Bruce songs on this list. Okay. Okay. So, and this is uh, 10 and up. So ten, Tunnel of Love was number 10. Right. Uh, border run was nine. I really liked that song blinded by the light. Mm-hmm. I had no idea Bruce was involved in that, yeah. because, but I really love man for man's version. So that was eight. Mm-hmm. I did not know he was involved in because of the night and mm-hmm. I li- really loved the PD Patty Smith version. Mm-hmm. So that would be number seven. Uh, hungry heart was six. All right. So hungry heart was originally going to be written for the Ramones. Oh, well it doesn't sound very punky. Yeah, they came to see him, uh, or he either, or that either they came to see him or he went to see them. And I think if he went to see them in a small club in New Jersey, 
And they said, will you write us a song? And uh, so the other two that you're talking about, Because the Night and Blinded by the Light, uh, he jokes about how his first number one song he ever wrote, first number one song for him was Blinded by the Light. And he goes, I didn't play on it. Anyway, (laughs) all right. So continue with your list. Number five was Pink Cadillac. Mm -hmm. And I also actually liked the Natalie Cole version too. And you know, that was a B-side. I didn't know. I didn't know. I remembered. I'm like, Pink Cadillac. Wait a second. It was on MTV. Right. So I'm listening to it. I'm like, wait a second. I've heard his version too. But I remember Natalie Cole's version was all over the radio. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm assuming it was probably the bigger hit. That's probably why I heard it more. Yeah. Uh, number four, there was just no escaping it. I, how many times do I see Dancing in the Dark on MTV? Probably 5,000 times, right? So um, always enjoyed that song. I actually like the title track, Born in the USA. Yeah. So I had that, number three. Number two, probably surprise some people, Cover Me. For whatever reason, that, it it was more, it's almost like a danceable track. So there was something about it. So I forget who it was. It wasn't Diana Ross, but it was somebody in that realm. He originally was going to write that for, he wrote that for, okay, that and his, man, his manager said, nope, we're keeping this one. Yeah. Yeah. That makes You're sense. not giving and away then, another number one hit. <laughs> and then my favorite out of his whole discography that I know is really glory days. Yeah. Because that was probably the video that I saw going, okay, well, I don't know who that guy is, but he's not all bad. But then yeah. I had friends that liked Bruce Springsteen. Every time mm-hmm. I would hear something, I'm like, what is that crap? Well, that's the Glory Days guy. I'm like, that ain't no Glory Days. Mm-hmm. Whatever the hell you're listening to. I don't know what the hell you're listening to. So I could come up with it just, you know, he's that Bob Dylan of our generation, I guess. And he would love that. He would he would love that you said that title. He there's a reason for his success, right? There's a connection that happens and you know, he dipped into commercial a little bit and brought more people and he's got this rabid fan base. And I think it's unbelievably awesome. It's just not something I ever go to because it just doesn't connect with me. Now you would go crazy seeing glory days live in an arena. It oh, is, I'm sure that place is jumping. It, and when I saw him, he goes directly from glory days straight into dancing in the dark Oh yeah. I honestly never liked dancing in the dark until I saw it live. Now, funny thing. He wrote, I think 30 songs for born in the USA. Obviously, whether you like him or not, there were mega, mega hits on that album. He turns the album in and his record company comes to him and says, we don't hear a single. And he goes and writes dancing in the dark and turns that in. Turns out he had seven top 40 singles, um, <laughs> which is just, I mean, that's just, it's kind of like the whole, uh, Def Leppard hysteria thing. We don't have a single and they go and write, pour some sugar on me, you yeah. know, had five or six other songs that half the country can at least recognize. Well, Sonny, as always, I appreciate you sitting through this exercise with us because uh, it's fascinating to hear somebody else's opinion. And like I said, uh, six months ago, you and I would have been somewhat simpatico on this. Um, but I, I've got a real problem. I, I've gotten addicted to it. And uh, Chris was texting me the other day, something about it. And I responded and I was like, you created this monster. Cause he's been trying to get me on this for 15 years. And uh, I, I finally, I finally bit on it. All right. What all is going on with growing up rock and where can everybody find it? 
Uh, growinguprock.com is probably the best place. We're on all the places you would normally get your podcasts. Uh, like I said before, we're doing these Friday quick fixes, which are like 10 to 12 minute little short bites every Friday. Now our full episodes are on Sundays. We haven't missed a week in six years, right? So, um, my partner, Stephen Michael, you know, he's super, um, calendared, I guess is the way to put it. So between him and I and our organization skills, we can get it ahead enough uh, to where we don't miss. And it's been fun. It's not a job. So that helps me. I already have a job. I don't want another job. So uh, I don't get to talk music much. And I'll tell you, I give a shot to everything anybody sends me. Dude, I've heard some of the worst. <laughs> you would not believe some of the stuff I've What's heard. What's the worst thing somebody sent you? Oh my God. Um, Liz fair supernova. You know what that is? I love Liz fair. Oh my God. That song was brutal. I couldn't get through it. I, I, oh my God. So bad. So bad. (laughs) Somebody tried to send me 10 songs. Enough's enough. I listened to a a song and a half. I'm like, guys, I can't, can't, I'm sorry. I can't I, do it anymore. I like the two hits of theirs. New thing. And I don't even like the, the two hits. <laughs> you know, somebody tried to tell me, oh, they're kind of the Beatles of their generation. Uh, and that doesn't I, first, help. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. I'm not a Beatles fan. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm, I think they're overrated. And I just, the other half of people just quit listening to us. I'm a Stones <laughs> guy. Uh, and I cannot stand the Eagles. So uh, I think you and I are in agreement. Yeah. on that we, yeah. we don't the um, hits are the hits right the beatles hits are the hits too and they're hits for a reason but give me the stones anytime over. yeah that's to me a lot of the beatles music it doesn't seem to have any feel to it um it it doesn't it doesn't seem like they have an emotional connection um that's just my opinion um but you know when you're the first out of the gate you're always going to be special it's like um Oh, who was uh, the guitar player for UFO that everybody, uh, was it Michael Schenker? Oh, Schenker. Schenker, All right. Yeah. So I never heard of UFO until um, I started watching that metal show and, and Eddie Trunk, you know, just won't shut up about them. And I go back and listen to it and I go, I mean, there's nothing special about this. It sounds like everything else. But then I realized in the mid seventies, he was kind of groundbreaking. And a lot of people have stolen from him. So why it doesn't m- do anything for me, it did things for a lot of other people when they've gone on to incorporate that in their playing. Um, and so um, I- I'm kind of like that with the Beatles. I understand where everybody comes from with it. The Eagles, I'll tell you, they're good songwriters, uh, great yeah. singers and, and the melodies and stuff. But to me, it's just straight middle of the road adult contemporary music and uh it never has done a thing for me which is interesting because i say that to people and they look at me like i've got you know three heads and then i say the same thing about the beatles so you're the first person i think i've met that shares my uneasiness let's say with the beatles and (laughs) and the eagles yeah i've been given feedback that i don't respect the past and it's really got nothing to do with respect the past so i'm going to give you like a guitarist example right so you know, did it go from Page to a Randy Rhodes to the Steve Vai's of the world? Yes, that's yes. There's all kinds of other guitarists in there, but yes. Okay, well, I came in at the tail end of Eddie Van Halen and Steve Vai starting. 
So yes, they're more important to me than Jimmy Page. But it all started with Jimmy. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Because I go back and listen to the Zeppelin stuff and Vi smokes him. But Vi took something that was great and made it better. Well, I came in when it got better. So now I'm at fault. Like Pop-Tarts are awesome. I'm sure that whatever was before the Pop-Tart was awesome to the people that are 70 or 80. But Pop-Tarts right now are awesome to me. I did not know that Pop-Tarts being segued in Steve I was going to come up in the conversation. <laughs> so do you like Led Zeppelin? You know, that's one of the bands that uh, at first when I heard them, probably I didn't hear them until probably the early 90s. I was like, eh, it's like old hippie music. As I listened to it more and more, I liked more and more stuff. So I would say I like half the stuff. I like more Zeppelin than I do Sabbath. Well, they stole all their stuff from uh, blues guys in the Mississippi Delta, and then everybody else stole their stuff from, <laughs> from Led Zeppelin. And I will tell you when I hear some of that old blue stuff, I love it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love the Motown. I love so you can kind of hear in the music that I listen to where it came from. And when I do sometimes hear that stuff, it's like, oh, this is pretty cool too. Can I listen to Mississippi Delta blues for the rest of my life? I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I don't don't think so. But when I hear it, I enjoy it. If you ever come down here, I'll take you to Morgan Freeman's Blues Club, and uh, you'll see a guy just take a Coke bottle and break the neck off and pick <laughs> it up and, and play on a three-string guitar, and it'll sound like the greatest thing you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> All right, Sonny, as always, it's always a pleasure to have you on, and uh, like we always do with our guests, give me a Bruce song to play out with. Let's do Cover Me. All right. We'll do Cover Me off Born in the USA. I'm sure all of you have heard it. Chris and I'll be back with you. Uh, we have one more Springsteen episode we're going to do. We're going to rank the catalog, and then I promise all of you it's over with. We won't talk about the boss anymore. Take care, everybody. <laughs>